0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Visions of a Blind Woman. You could be anywhere doing anything at this very moment, and you have chosen to be here with me, listening to this podcast. You know what? I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Now, will you follow me already on Spotify? Golly, what does a girl have to do? Anyway if you have noticed, I have been off the air, so to speak, for about a month. I was in the gorgeous state of Colorado in the spectacular Vía de San Luis, my home. For the past several years, I have been so fortunate to be able to travel back to my home state, back to my hometown, and visit family and friends in the place where I grew up. So now I have returned to my life in the busy DC metro area, and I am so happy to be home with my honey, Scott, and my baby, MJ, my little fur baby, my family. I am so blessed, and I have so much to tell you about my trip to Colorado. In the three weeks I was there, I was able to slow down, listen to the wind and share time with the people I love so much. I stay with my Aunt Patsy, my Madrina, and my Uncle Herman when I go visit. And almost immediately, we fall into a rhythm marked with calm and quiet, peace, and stillness. The house, it's just, I'm used to, you know, having the TV going or, or the radio going. But it's so quiet there. And my favorite moments are those early mornings when I'm awakened by that beautiful aroma of coffee brewing and the soft mariachi music coming from a radio somewhere in the kitchen I can't see, in some corner. Radio Bilingue. It's a station streaming out of Fresno, California, playing great Spanish music and talk, and it's just wonderful. And when I get up, I find my tío. He's already enjoying his first cup of coffee, reading some article in the Smithsonian magazine, which he loves, or working on his latest publication. My tío is an extraordinary man, and I know he would hate that I'm talking about him and giving him attention because that's just how he is. But I have to. His roots are in Los Houses, Colorado, a very, very no-blink community located in Conejos County on the west side of the Rio Grande. When he was a child, his family relocated to Alamosa, Colorado, probably for work. I think that Los Houses, you know, it was very small and industry was, was non-existent, probably like Antonito, where I grew up. I love hearing the stories of my tío's mischievous boyhood, serving his country in the National Guard, and his many years of post-secondary education, culminating in a Ph.D. In the 1970s, my tío's Herman and Patsy founded the very successful folklorico dance group Semillas de la Tierra, Seeds of the Earth, out of Adams State University in Alamosa, Colorado. They formed and nurtured beautiful relationships with dance groups and musicians out of Mexico who shared their cultural traditions through movement and song, the intricate zapateados, the footwork of Jalisco and Veracruz dances, and the dramatic ensembles of Puebla and Nayarit. So many years of cultural traditions passed through and around and down to generations with vibrant performances in so many communities. God, I love performing. I was fortunate to have been able to be a part of this movement when I danced with Semillas en la Tierra. Imagine that, me, a folklorico dancer. <laughs> it was a blast. And I learned so much. My favorite region was Jalisco. Man, I love those dances. La Negra was my favorite dance. My Tio is an educator. So is my Aunt Patsy, but his heart is in administration. He likes to, and he wants to, and he's dedicated to assuring that students are receiving the best, most robust education possible. He has served as a teacher and principal in many of the San Luis Valley schools. After he retired he continued in the vein of educating through the development of a digital magazine he calls El Alba, which means the dawn. And that magazine was only one part of a beautiful endeavor called Hilos Culturales, which means cultural threads. And this is a Colorado nonprofit organization that he and my aunt Patsy founded in 2000 to promote the distinct Indio-Hispano cultural arts traditions of the upper Rio Grande region of New Mexico or northern New Mexico and southern Colorado, which is really a distinct cultural experience. For generations, these traditions have been maintained and transferred through oral customs. We tell stories. Have you noticed? That's where I get it. Be it music, dance, storytelling, wood carving... Or weaving, Hilos Culturales, the brainchild of my beloved tios, strives to provide the finest models, teachers, mentors, and instructional materials to realize their vision. And since its inception, my Uncle Herman and Aunt Patsy have traveled throughout Colorado, New Mexico, even Arizona to personally visit with each and every artist and musician and weaver and santero to interview them and learn from them the spirit of our culture. I love it. All of those stories are captured in word and verse and audio recordings in their digital magazine, El Alba. They are still creating, my tíos, And they are still sharing the beauty of our culture. They just had another book published on the 29th of September, another thread connecting us to our traditions. So my morning coffees with my tío is an extra special time for me. This is when my soul gets fed with the wonderful stories and music and prose of my own history and culture. You know, it's funny, but after 10 years of living with this blindness thing, I have come to a point in my experience where I am more awake in my life. Finally, after 10 years of feeling sorry for myself and mourning and doing whatever else work I had to do, I'm waking up. Now, don't ask my honey if that's true. He will tell you that there are so many times in my days when I am still not present. And he's right. That is true. I am easily distracted, remember, by clouds or Walmart bags floating in the breeze. My point, though, here is that I'm feeling more present today than yesterday or more present this year than last year definitely more present this year than eight, nine, 10 years ago when I first lost my eyesight. Maybe I'm more comfortable in my skin. Maybe I'm more comfortable with this blindness thing. Maybe I'm encouraged by how my life is shaping up. I'm not sure. I have now been able to be a little more productive And I'm putting my own skills and talents to use, again, working with the committees that I have chosen to work with and the people that I encounter. All of this is good. All of this is wonderful and powerful. And I'm not sure if that's what it is. But I do know that on this trip to my childhood home, my spirit came along with me. And I was more present in a big way. My personal visits with family and friends were more palpable. I was all in. I feel like I'm becoming invested in my life again. And I was talking to people, Dr. Ed Crowther, my friend Rose, my friend Mary Jane, my soul brother Aaron Abeda, when I was talking to these people and sharing with them a little bit of my own journey, I was feeling more invested. And I was feeling more hopeful. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow. And I'm enjoying the process of making tomorrow another great day for me and for my honey and for my fur baby MJ and for the people that I encounter in my life. On my visit, When I hugged the people I love, it was like my heart was reaching out of my chest and was actively involved in the embrace. Really? It sounds crazy, but it's true. And I saw people I hadn't seen for so many years. My friend Mary Jane picked me up from the Denver airport and we drove to the valley together. It was like no time had passed. Although the last time I saw Mary Jane was around 1991 when we worked together at the Adolescent Health Program in Alamosa. I have a feeling that Mary Jane and I won't lose touch again. We picked it right up where it was left off. Hey, you know what? I went to my 40th year class reunion On Labor Day weekend. Antonito Trojans. Class of 1983. Can you believe that? Oh my God. On Saturday the 2nd of September. Several of my classmates. Not all. And those that did not show up. I am really upset with you. And I'm counting on you. Because we're going to have another one in 5 years. We're not waiting 10. We're going to have another one in 5 years. And y'all better be there. Or I'm going to hunt you down. But on Saturday, the second, several of us classmates met up at Smokey's campground. Smokey's is a spot everyone who grew up in the valley knows about. Well, who grew up in Antonito anyway, knows about and loves. Many of us used to ditch class and go to Smokey's. Well, I didn't. I was a very good girl, but some of us did. And some of us, uh, took our families up there and had cookouts and tubing in the, in the river and fishing. So we all met up at Smokey's and Smokey's is up in the San Juan mountains past Mogote and Las Mesitas. It's a beautiful drive up there. My dear friend Yvonne and I drove up together from Alamosa. Now, one of the things about blindness, they don't let me drive. I don't know why, <laughs> I have a little bit of vision. I, I think I could drive, but they won't let, give me a license anymore. They took my license away from me. So I get to hitch rides from friends. And my dear friend, Yvonne, uh, last time when I was here, we had a five-year class reunion or five class whatever reunion. And she was my ride. And she did that again for me this year. So Yvonne and I and Ronnie Garcia and Alicia Espinosa met up. We were the planning committee for this, this, uh, reunion and we met up at Smokies, and we, we were so excited We set up the tables with all the food that we had and the drinks and we got the, uh, Ronnie got the, the barbecue stuff going on and then we waited and we were so excited about seeing classmates and then people started to arrive and oh my God, there were people there that I had not seen since our high school graduation. We've changed a little bit. We have aged a little bit, but you know what? We it's it's all good. Our friendships are still there. Growing up in a small town with only fifty two in our senior class, you get pretty close to each other. Even if you don't hang out like on a daily basis, you still get to know everybody, and everybody's your friend and family. We grew up together: elementary, junior high, high school all of our little squabbles, all of our little clicks and those great times that we had at basketball games and football games and proms. We were bragging now at our class reunion. We, Antonito High School had the most beautiful gymnasium out of all the schools in the Valley. It was, it was set up above our classrooms. So all the classes were on the first floor of the high school. And then above that, you had to go up a set of stairs to get to the gymnasium. And we didn't have those portable rollout bleachers. Our bleachers were fixed. They were built in. And our gym floor, oh my God, it was the most beautiful gym floor. It was wood and it was polished and it was gorgeous. So we had one of the most beautiful gymnasiums in the whole valley. And in high school... Man, that was, that was where everything happened, in the gym. We had PE up there. We went to the games up there. And in the high school, we were just like one big, happy, crazy family. Walking in the hallways to class was a big blast. Harassing Miss Kuda, our English teacher. I mean, it was just great, great times. I am so grateful now for social media because it's through Facebook That I'm able to check on my old friends, my family, see their beautiful faces, and I'm be nosy about what's going on in their lives. I am so grateful that I got to reconnect with a few of those beautiful people at my 40th year class reunion. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being there. And the rest of you who weren't there, even the locals, come on, man, you live there. Why weren't you there? Anyway. I'm not going to bait a dead horse. It's already like pulsating blood. But anyway, in five years, we are meeting again. And y'all better be there. That's all I got to say. Okay. I got a dose of some very special people in my life too. When I was in Colorado, my dear friend Rose, we got to work together at the adolescent health program in Alamosa. And that was in the late 80s, early 90s. And we became close friends. It's interesting, but my friend Rose also used to work with my mom at the central office at Antonito School District. My mom died when when she was so young, 24. And so whenever I get to meet someone, know someone who knew my mom, it is just really extra special. And so Rose, throughout the years, has been able to share some stories that she remembers when she worked with my mom. So that made us, you know, instant friends. And then Rose is just a beautiful person. She's my mariposa. And she is the owner of the upper left quadrant of my heart because I just love her so much. I got to visit with Aaron Abeda, author, poet, college professor, retired. He's just wonderful. He's my soul brother who loves the Valle de San Luis as much as I do. And we get to share that together. I got to meet and have coffee with Dr. Ed Crowther. Ed was the first history professor I had when I started school, way back in 1983, 84, undergrad, Adam State. I actually think that was his first gig after getting his doctorate degree in history, and he was probably about 12 years old. (laughs) No, No, not quite, but, you know, he was young. And then... He was still there when I got the huge honor of being able to join the faculty at Adams State in the psychology department. So he became a very influential colleague, respected colleague, when I was teaching at Adams. And we got to do a CELT scholars program together. And the CELT scholars, I can't remember what the acronym stands for, something with uh, student-centered learning. But we got to spend a week with others Uh, other professors in Taos, New Mexico, one summer. And they trained us on creating a student-centered classroom and a student-centered learning experience so that students could be more successful in their college endeavor. And it makes sense that the concepts that we learned there, you know, a lot of times testing can be a punitive action in college you know sink or swim all that kind of thing but we learned ways to be more inclusive in our classrooms and that was something that I got to share with Dr. Crowder and some other professors and so that was a wonderful experience and since then I am so proud and happy to say that he has become a dear friend to me and so I love you Ed and, and um, I am so happy that I was able to share some personal time with some very special people. My life is so rich, you don't even know. Okay, so on my visit to Colorado, it was not without a bit of turmoil. I mean, come on, that's me, remember? Turmoil sometimes becomes my middle name, and it's usually turmoil that I create for myself. Sometimes this blindness thing gets on my nerves. I stress out about things that, in the grand scheme of life, are really quite minuscule, but to me in that moment, they become huge. I stress about these things. One of those things is my white cane. I actually expend energy thinking about whether or not to take my white cane along with me. I mean, what the hell? When I'm home in Virginia, I rarely use my cane, although... There are many times when I wish I had <laughs> because I'm stumbling around like an old woman, but I'm just thick that way. And so I often leave, more often than not, I leave my home without my white cane. I do use my white cane when I travel. <laughs> if for nothing else, it gets me pre-boarding status. Yee, okay, don't judge me. You would do the same thing. On this trip, I had a stop in Houston. And I had an experience at the Houston Hobby Airport that actually threw me for a loop. Newbie blind people will relate, okay? When I got off the plane at Hobby Airport, I stopped, as I usually do, at the gate to ask about my connecting flight and to find out where I should be, make sure I'm at the right gate for takeoff. The lady was so nice. And as it turned out, I was only three gates away from my connecting flight. How convenient, right? So I set out to locate my gate as I usually do because I like to get situated and make sure I'm in the right place before I venture off and take a walk or go to the restroom or get some coffee or whatever. And much to my chagrin, I couldn't see a thing I kid you not. I I could see nothing. Nothing. You think I was blind for God's sake. Oh my God. Okay. So I was freaking out a little bit. That part of the airport is a circular room with windows for walls and so, so bright. The sun was shining brightly through. It was like mid morning. And so the sun was just glaring just beaming into that into that room and it was too bright for my little retinas and my little eyes to make anything out the little bit of eyesight that i do have left was totally zapped there was no amount of blinking you know how when you've got to clear your eyes you just do that blinking thing and there was no amount of squinting that i could do to make it better I was totally blinded and a little freaked out. Shit, I can't see. And for whatever reason, I started to panic just a little bit. It reminded me of that time way back when, when I was more blind than I am now, When MJ and I ventured out a little far from our house and it was evening and so the sun started to set and it started to get kind of dark and I couldn't see and everything kind of was a huge blur and I couldn't make out where I was and I started to panic. It reminded me of that, (laughs) that time. I didn't know what to do right now. I was at a loss. So then I remembered the huge lesson I learned when I was on that walk with MJ. Look around, take a breath, pull over out of traffic, stop, recenter. And so I did. At Hobby Airport, I pulled out of the way. I stopped and I just stood there for a minute and I breathed. Inhale, exhale, in through the nose. Out through them out. Do you know that when you're in a stressful situation, if you could just take three to five deep breaths, it's like taking a hit of Valium for your brain. So that's exactly what I did. I took some intellectual Valium, I just stood there and I breathed. I looked around. And I looked down because I remember on that walk with MJ, I happened to glance down and there was a bright light shining on the concrete, that one step in front of me. And then I took that step and another one showed itself. And I kept doing that until I got home. So let me try that here. So I looked down, I could see the shiny floor. Everything else was a huge ass blur, but all the training that I had had with Joanne Laurent, my mobility coach from DBVI started to come to mind. I started to have a little conversation with myself. I was kind of pissed off at myself too, because what the hell am I freaking out about? I have my white cane. There's nothing that bad that's going to happen to me. I know how to use my white cane, take steps, swish right, left, shoulder width apart. I mean, come on, Renee, what the hell's wrong with you? So I started walking in that bright ass room, swishing my cane back and forth. And the panicky feeling started to subside. And I found my gate. I asked the attendant at the little desk just to make sure, showed her my boarding pass. Is this where I'm supposed to be? I just want to make sure, blah, blah, blah. It was. And then I said, okay, Renee, you got to challenge yourself here. It would be easy for me to just find a seat and sit down and wait the hour or 45 minutes for my flight to board. But no, if I'm going to learn from this, I have to venture out of my comfort zone and play around with this blind thing because this could be my reality one day. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go find some coffee. Coffee is the fruit of life. (laughs) And so in my little subsiding panicky state, I set out in search of coffee. I started to walk down the hallway swishing my cane back and forth. And as I recalled in other situations, when a blind person is walking down a hallway, people move. And if they don't, they're going to get run over because in that situation, I couldn't help them. I couldn't see them. So if they wouldn't have moved, I would have just run over them. So I'm walking down the hallway and surprisingly it did. It calmed my nerves to walk. I was expertly swishing my white cane from side to side in front of me, trusting that it's going to find all of my obstacles and I just have to trust my cane. Little Joanne Laurent voice in my head was telling me, trust the cane, Renee, trust the cane. So I'm trusting the cane and I started to feel more confident there in Hobby Airport and less panicky. I was doing it. I was out there. I was really blind once again, because I've been there before and I was walking back and forth looking for the damn Starbucks. I was feeling more confident. People were not looking at me funny that I could tell and I wouldn't know if they were. Nothing bad was happening to me. There were no Mack trucks that were going to run over me. I wasn't knocking people over in my clumsiness. I was not falling and making a fool of myself. I was not trying to fake that I could see better than I actually could because, quite frankly, I couldn't see shit. And faking it is sometimes something I do quite a bit of. I try to, to show that I see more than I actually can see. I don't know why I do that. It's dumb. It's dumb. If I can't see, well, for God's sake, I have tools to use. I'm preaching that to people. And here I am acting the fool, trying to fake that I can see better than I can. Golly, Renee. In that hobby airport, I was doing all right. I wasn't embarrassed and I wasn't an embarrassment to myself. Wow. That was an interesting lesson that I don't think was an accident because I know that God, the universe, and mother earth, first of all, they have very strange sense of humor collectively. And second of all, they usually know what I need. And so they put me in situations to be able to learn what it is I need to learn. So thank you so much for that lesson. (laughs) Okay. So on my visit to Colorado, I was able to attend my great uncle's funeral. My uncle Dan who is my grandfather's brother, my grandfather on my paternal side, my dad's dad, who raised me. Okay. His brother, my uncle Dan, my great uncle Dan really passed away a few days before I headed out to Colorado. When I arrived in Alamosa and my tios and I were talking about our plans for my visit, they let me know that, They were planning to drive up to Los Alamos, New Mexico on the 31st to attend my uncle Dan's funeral. I was happy about that because I was so sad to hear that he had passed away. He was 99 years old. And my aunt Jessie, who is about 95, had told me when I called her from Virginia to give her my condolences, she said, "Hita, Tio Dan and was hoping to be able to make it to a hundred. He was really excited about that. And then he got COVID. So he died of COVID, but I think if he hadn't gotten COVID, he'd still be here. But you know, God has his plan. Okay. So I was happy that I was going to be able to go to my Theodan's Dan's funeral. And some of my, my relatives, my grandpa's relatives, I hadn't seen since I was a teenager. When my grandma and grandpa and I went up to visit, I hadn't seen my Aunt Jessie. I had talked to her on the phone, but I hadn't seen her in person since I was a teenager. And my cousins, their sons and my cousin Diane, their daughter, I hadn't seen since I was a teenager. So here you go. There's that nagging question again in my brain, something I stress about probably needlessly. Should I take my white cane or not? (laughs) My relatives know I'm blind and anybody who's friends with me on Facebook, you know, I'm blind, but somehow taking the white cane puts it out there front and center on display. And I get all caught up in that being a spectacle and shit. I don't want to be, I don't want to stand out. I've never liked standing out. I've never liked a lot of that visible attention. The white cane is so well visible and it sets me apart and it, it makes me look different. And I don't like that. And even though everybody already knows that I'm blind, it just puts it out there and draws attention to me. And I don't like being that center of attention. Although it's funny because I am kind of a ham. I love public speaking I love putting on educational talks. I loved being a professor and standing up in front of a classroom and lecturing about something or the other. But as far as this is concerned, this is not the kind of attention that I like. I guess because I really don't have any control over it. When you're doing public speaking, it's you have control over that. You know, I even though I'm vulnerable and standing up there and putting my heart and soul into it, I still am driving it with the white cane and this whole blindness thing. I'm sometimes I'm not driving it. I'm not driving what people think about me or how they react to me. And that just kind of drives me crazy. Okay. So on, I'm feeling a certain way about this white cane thing. And on my drive to New Mexico, I'm sitting in the backseat and, and it's early morning and I'm sipping the beautiful cup of coffee that my uncle Herman made so that we can have coffee on our trip. And I'm texting my friend, Joe. And Joe is blind. He lost his eyesight in young adulthood, and he has become a mentor and a dear friend. And so I'm texting Joe, and I I usually can talk to Joe about these crazy things, like deciding if or not to use my white cane. I explained to Joe on this text message that, The last time I had seen this side of my family was when I was a teenager. And although many of them know about my blindness, blah, 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 blah. I was feeling anxious about what they would think. Joe is right there. And he responds really quickly, especially when I'm in turmoil like this. And he came through for me in typical Joe fashion, sharing a story with me about, quote, People who randomly lie down on the floor in the middle of a grocery store likely have little fear of what people think after that. And then he says, maybe my white cane is my version of lying down on the floor in the middle of a grocery store and essentially giving people the middle finger. (laughs) Well, he said, in essence... Renee, it is either use the cane and get around with grace and dignity or run into shit. (laughs) He's right. That's the bottom line. I can gracefully use my white cane because I know I can't see in certain situations. I know that if it's too bright, like in Hobby Airport or if it's too dim, like when I was walking MJ home that night, I can't see Diddley squat. So I could either gracefully make it through a situation with my white cane. Or as Joe is so poignantly reminding me, run into shit. So I used my white cane. I used it. When I walked into the church and one of the first people I saw was my cousin, Andrew. And then I saw my cousin, Steve. And then I saw my cousin, Diane. And then I saw my aunt, Jessie. It was hugs. And I miss you. And I love you. And nobody laughed and pointed. And nobody said, oh, look at that big old white cane you're using. And there were no whispers and stares that I could see or tell. And when I met new cousins, daughters and sons of my first cousins, there was only hugs. And I love yous. And I'm so glad to meet you, cousin. And then it hit me. How arrogant and self-centered am I. (laughs) My problem with blindness and this damned white cane are just that my problem no one gives a shit renee my family and friends love me no matter what with or without my white cane if they wonder about it they ask me wow i am the only one who makes the whole thing an issue i'm the one who makes it a big deal because to me i guess it has been a big deal Because to me, walking around with that white cane only reminds me that I don't have the eyesight that I used to have. But big fucking deal. How selfish. It's not all about me. It was about being there for my family. To mourn the loss of my Tio Dan. And to hug my Aunt Jessie and tell her how much I love her. And to hug my cousins and their kids and tell them, God, I'm so happy to meet you. And isn't it funny how we all look the same and we all have that big Valdez nose? Oh my God, you look just like me. It's like looking in the damn mirror. It's not about me. That was a powerful lesson for me to learn. And I thank my friend Joe for helping me to see my own arrogance In that, there were so many wonderful lessons that I learned on my holiday in Colorado. I know many of those are going to be sprinkled throughout my next several podcast episodes. So stay tuned. I am so grateful for you listening to my podcast. One of the things that I did in Colorado was I was interviewed by the editor of the Alamosa Citizen. My uncle Herman set that up for me. Chris Lopez is the editor. He and his wife created the Alamosa Citizen, which is an online newspaper for the San Luis Valley. I sat down with him one day for an interview and he talked to me about my experience, uh, losing my eyesight, growing up in the Valley, doing my podcast. And I will share a link to that interview on the description of this episode. And so please check that out. And I want you to know if you are dealing with vision loss, if you are feeling alone out there, and if you're new to blindness, you are not alone. I just need you to remember that you are not alone. And there are people out there who have been in your shoes like me. I have been there and I am in there right now dealing with some things still after 10 years. So, uh, I can relate. My email is Renee F Valdez at gmail.com. If you have questions, if you need resources, if you just want to vent, reach out. I'm here for you. I will respond. Okay and i want you to hang in there until next time tune in keep tuning in i'll do my best to get the next episode out on tuesday or wednesday all right i love you all thank you so much and as always hasta luego